Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Bridge the Atlantic. We are your hosts, music web designer Ross Barber. And singer-songwriter Marcino Velli. This week, we're joined by live music producer and performance coach Wade Sutton. Between co-authoring the $150,000 music degree with former Taylor Swift manager Rick Barker and working one-on-one with artists around the world via Skype, Rocket to the Stars' Wade Sutton has dedicated his life to helping artists ditch their day jobs in favour of careers in music. Wade teaches singers and musicians how to turn their live shows into a kick-ass experience, resulting in fans buying more merch and increasing email sign-ups. We're looking forward to hearing some of Wade's advice and getting to know him better. So please wel- uh, please join us and welcome to the show. Thanks, Ross. Hey, Wade. You're welcome. And great bio, I have to say, which yes. is uh, written by Wade himself. Yes. Oh, wonderful. Yes. One wonderful. of my other one of my other talents, writing bios for people. Yeah, I've seen you mention that. I've seen you uh, mention something about like at midnight you get an email and you have to write a bio. What do you do? Roll up your sleeves and write a bio. Yeah. <laughs> I was I was a journalist for 18 years. Oh, so, there you, go. you know, the idea of deadlines and needing something as fast as you can get it done uh, is something that doesn't phase me. So, mm-hmm. as soon as I saw it, I thought, you know what? Might as well stay up and get it done. I'd never spoken with the girl. Uh, I did not know her. So, I had to pull information from the current biography that was on her website. And I essentially cyber-stalked her. I went through about two or three months of Twitter okay. posts. That's what Ross does with all of us. So I do for all of our yeah. guests, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you have to. You, you have to. Do research. Then, right. Went on Facebook and I, I told Bernard, I said, you'll have something from me in an hour. Oh, wow. And, and I did. I got it to him and he was, you know, he was very happy and she was happy with it. So, uh, you know, as long as everybody's happy, I'm happy. Well, I have to say, Wade wrote my bio and most oh, okay. of the content for my that. website as well. So he does a great job. So if you're looking for a bio then uh, wait your guy he's your man yes (laughs) so wade tell us three things about yourself that everyone should know besides the fact that clearly you can write bios in like an hour um, and you cyberstalk people. <laughs> and I cyberstalk people. Yeah. Well, let's see. Three things. Not music related or music uh, related? Anything you think anything. anyone should know. Okay. Uh, I'm a full time single dad. I have an eight and a half year old daughter. Um, I got into this whole thing in the music industry after starting a very large scale singing competition uh, that ran for about three years. And when I say large scale, I mean the, the live attendance at our finals was estimated at around 27,000 people. Oh, wow. And that was in addition to actually broadcasting that live on a 50,000 watt FM country music station. Oh, my gosh. Uh, and then uh, the third thing. You know, like I said, I was a, a journalist for 18 years working in radio, and during that time, I had the opportunities to do a lot of great things. I covered um, all the home games for the 2001 season of the Pittsburgh Steelers. I've interviewed former presidents, oh, uh, vi- vice presidents, U.S. senators, congressional representatives, uh, covered high-profile homicide trials. So I've, I've been very blessed. I've gotten to do a lot of really cool things in my life. 
Uh, obviously, you spent a long time as a radio journalist. Um, what was it that kind of uh, that caused you to shift gears, and what would you say your highlights have been so far? Mm-hmm. Well, what caused me to shift gears, it, I, I tell people, it was almost like it was destiny. Uh, we have where I live is a very small town. The population's about nineteen thousand people, and for as small as it is, it's actually the home base of two of the largest fireworks distributors in the world, uh, Zambelli International and Pyrotechnico. So every year, our community has this big fireworks festival and because it was a big thing that goes on every summer of course the radio stations that i was working at required us to be there and and do remote broadcasts so um a couple of years ago i was down there and the organizers were putting on a very small scale singing competition i think i think they had six people uh the winner got a hundred dollars and i think they were able to sing the national anthem at a professional baseball game and i was sitting there and i was watching it and i thought man you know they could really blow this up into something big and, and, and really turn it into an entertainment event so i i had this epiphany and i had all these ideas that started to go through my head and i went home and i wrote out like this eight page email uh to the county tourist promotion agency that was responsible for the festival and and i pitched some ideas to them that i, I thought for sure they're going to read this and they're going to think i'm insane because it, it was so ambitious for a small town to try to do what i was proposing we do and about two or three days later they contacted me and said could you come down for a meeting we want to talk to you about this so i i went and spoke with them and the tourist promotion agency was basically being run by these two little old ladies and they were really intrigued with it but they said look you know it's only the two of us running this office and planning the festival we love the idea but we don't have the time to put into it do you have any interest in doing it and i said sure but you know i told him i said if i'm going to do it there are a couple conditions i said i want complete creative control complete administrative control i don't want somebody looking over my shoulder trying to circumvent different things that i'm doing uh let me do it the way that i think it should be done so that we can build it up and turn it into something big and that's what really got the ball rolling the first year we did it we had a a huge turnout at the the finals live it was a three-hour radio broadcast commercial breaks It, it was a fantastic experience and what happened was near the tail end of that season i met a guy by the name of james meaning and james is a fantastic voice instructor that lives in the pittsburgh area and he came up and he watched it and he was really intrigued by what you know what they'd done on such a in such a small community so james and i started talking and he pitched the idea of taking what was a singing competition and evolve it into an artist development competition and basically set it up so that if you made it through the auditions as long as you were active in the show you were required to drive into town every weekend and we taught live performance he did voice work with people uh and james has worked with a lot of celebrities during during his career as a voice instructor uh we talked to him about marketing about dealing with the media stuff about websites things like that and that's when you really started to see a shift because we were doing something nobody else was doing it wasn't like your typical community singing competition where if you made it to the next round you know they said this is when the next round is going to be be here at this time and then you didn't see them until then we were actually developing the people so from the time they made it through the auditions at the time that the finals rolled around about six months later there was a significant improvement in what they were doing on stage 
what happened was in 2012, late in 2012, I thought, you know what, I want to I want to consider making this switch. And the first thing I did was I started writing articles. I figure I have a writing background. I'm going to leave with my best foot forward. Uh, published my first article in the middle of December of 2013. It was 2013. It was late in 2013 when I made the switch. Uh, put my first article up in late 2013. Two weeks later, I was contacted by Rick Barker, who used to manage Taylor Swift, and he wanted to know if I could write bios for artists that he was working with. So that kind of got the ball rolling a little bit more. And a week after my very first conversation with Rick, I was called into my program director's office at the radio station. And after 18 years of working there, I was laid off. Totally, oh, totally unexpected. Uh, had no clue it was coming. And like I said, I'm a single dad. So I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, what am I going to do? Uh, you know, I, it, I had no idea this was coming. So I was really upset at first just because it was so unexpected. But about an hour later, I was driving home. And I thought, why, why are you so upset about this? I've been getting up at three o'clock in the morning to go to work every day. Um, and, and just like I said, I was, I was at the point where I was feeling miserable. So I thought, you know what? Now's your chance. You know, you've been wanting to make this switch. Now's the time to do it. You've got a couple of months that you can sit back and focus on it. And man, I'll tell you what, so many doors opened up. Within six months, Rick and I published the book together. Oh, and, that was six and, months. Yeah, and and the ball really just got rolling, and now it, you know Rick sends people to me. Uh, Dave Kusick, who's the founder of Berkeley Online, uh, Dave refers people to me. Bernard Porter from PCG, uh, I know he's been involved with a, a lot of major artists over time. Uh, he's starting to send people to me, and it's it's been a really amazing experience. I'm very lucky, very hardworking, but I I, I know that luck's part of the equation. It just goes to show that you're you're appreciative of what you have. Yeah, you, know, you I realize am. obviously you're you're a very hardworking man, but at the same time you realize that you know I, I don't know if it's the word luck, but you know what Ross and I often talk about uh, opportunity and knowing when to see an opportunity and when to seize an opportunity. You know, right? Because um, you you could have got down in the dumps that you you know been laid off, and that could have been it. It could have been a downward spiral, but you yeah, know, it didn't. And, and, and you know what. It, it, a conversation that I've had with a lot of the artists that I work with, when this discussion comes up and the situation with me being laid off, uh, and some artists sit back and they wonder why things maybe haven't gone as well for them as they had been hoping up to a certain point. And one of the things that it comes down to is a lot of the artists have not been put in a situation where it was do or die. Uh, you know, I, I work with some teenage artists that are still, you know, they're living with their parents or maybe they're in college and their parents are kind of footing the bill for that. Those people haven't put in the put in, put in the position yet where you better succeed at music, because if you don't, the electricity is getting turned off. There's no food in the refrigerator uh, and, and that will kick your ass and get you moving like nothing else will. And. You know, a lot of people that are out there that are trying to make it music, they, they have a full-time job that they go to that's kind of like their nine-to-five thing. And then when they come home, they, you know, they work on the music. So there, there's a, a much different level of intensity 
when you're facing that situation of you need to do this or it's I mean, I, you know, I looked at it and I said, my gosh, if I don't find a way to make this work, what am I going to do about my daughter? Um, so that that really pushed me. And a lot of people who are out there trying to make it in music have not been put in that position where there was this overwhelming sense of urgency that makes them go into overdrive. Uh, and I'm not saying go quit your day job because obviously I am, you know, well, no, I am. I'll tell you why, man. I, I can't really, I couldn't relate to you anymore. I've always, I've always criticized, uh, some of my peers that work full-time job and think that they can actually have a music career while doing that. I, I, I've sacrificed just to talk about myself for a minute. I've sacrificed money and, and, and so much to do what I do because, you know, I, I left university and everything because I, I realized if this is what I want to do, this is what I have to do. You know, I can't have a full-time right. job. I mean, being a parent and, and doing this is crazy enough. As you know, <laughs> it's a, uh, I, I always, I always joke with Ross and any musician that's saying it's so difficult and they don't have kids. Shut kids, up. But, <laughs> like we're on Skype, we're on Skype <laughs> sometimes and he's like, well. And he's like juggling the two kids, one in each hand. And he's just like, so uh, what are we doing with this interview on uh, on, uh, on Tuesday? And it's just like <laughs> writing a song, put him here. Hold yeah, me. I know. It's, it's, it's it crazy. is. But, it, you know, it's chaotic. It's very you know, chaotic. I'm with, I, I know you said you wouldn't tell him to quit the job, but I think, yeah, I mean, you need to, I think you do need to find a way to bring in some income. If you can bring in some income, great. But, you know, you, you have to be able to, I think, put your all and go full time into what you want to do, because then it's just a hobby. It's not a career, right. uh, you know, and, and that, that's that's where I come from. I'm, not, I'm a little I'm not as nice as you and I'm not as forgiving as you on that. part. <laughs> well, well, believe me, my clients that I work with will tell you that I, I can be unforgiving sometimes. Um, you have to, yeah, I mean, it's not out of the ordinary that I'm on here yelling at them and <laughs> obscenities are flying. And um, I love it. But, but you know, it's not to be mean. It's because no. I, it's because I care. I mean, there, I had a situation this. I'm summer. yelling at you because I care. I, I, <laughs> it I sounds was. so wrong, right? <laughs> I was, and you know, I'm not gonna. I won't say any names. But uh, there's a girl that I work with that had this incredible opportunity earlier this summer. She she got to open at a festival for one of the biggest names in country music right now. And um, I didn't hear from her for a couple of weeks leading into the show. And her and I, I'd done a lot of live performance work with her. And I thought for sure she's going to get in touch with me about a week beforehand so that we can do a run through of the show, tweak it, make sure everything's tight. Didn't hear from her. So I thought, well, you know, okay, maybe she felt comfortable with the way things are. I see a picture of them on stage at this show performing. And the first thing that jumped out to me when I saw the picture was the way they were all dressed on stage. It looked like they had gone up on stage wearing what they had woken up in. And I was so mad when I saw it. I seriously wanted to punch my monitor. <laughs> And I didn't, I didn't talk to her for a couple of weeks and she finally called me to book an appointment for something. And, and we were on Skype and she, you know, I said, so how'd the show go? And she goes, Oh, you know, it went, it went really well. We had a really good time. She said the A-lister who she was opening for, uh, his guitar player actually sat in like the first or second row and watched most of their set. So they were excited about that. And I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm like, and, and she says, something wrong. And I was like, Ugh. I said, you want me to be nice or you want me to be honest? And I, I finally said to her, I said, can you, when you get up on stage, can you at least look like you give a shit? <laughs> and I saw her shoulders kind of go, 
like this because I know she's not used to having somebody be that blunt and honest mm-hmm. with her. And I said, look, I said, I'm only saying this because I care. Mm-hmm. I said, I know you're busting your butt. You're working really hard. She's had a lot of things go her way. But I said, man, I said, you know, when, when audiences come to see you perform live, there is an expectation that you are going to provide for them a certain kind of experience. And when you get up on stage and everybody in the band is dressed like you guys were for this show, you're robbing them of that experience. And, you know, I told her, I said, you can't do that. So she had another opportunity just a couple of weeks ago to open for another big name. Well, she played a pre-show party uh, for the concert. And when I saw the pictures of, of her in the band, it was radically different. It was a radical change, which I was really happy about. And I messaged her and told her, but um, yeah, I, I've had some times where I was, I was on here yelling and the F-bombs were going and, <laughs> and I told well, them, I you know, it's, it's, it's because I want to see you do well. I'm emotionally invested in my clients and their success. Well, speaking of live shows, you know, can, can you name like three things that artists can do to create moments in the show? <clears throat> there are a couple of things uh, that they can do right off the bat. First of all, I'm a, a big advocate, mostly for singer-songwriters, a big advocate of the skill of storytelling. And the skill of communicating with people between songs. Uh, I think something a lot of artists kind of forget is when somebody comes to see you perform live and you're doing a show, you're doing a show and you start performing a song that you wrote that you have an emotional attachment to, the audience doesn't have that emotional attachment. So one of the things singer-songwriters can do, since they're sitting up on the stage and maybe there's like 30, 40 people in the room and you know they're focused on the artist, is it gives you an opportunity to tell a story to set up the song. But there's this wonderful art of taking the meaning of the song and not so much pushing your memory of what that song is about on them, but wording it in a way so that they kind of start thinking back to different things in their life and they attach their own memory to that Which song. Is so important. It is so important. I tell people all the time, John Barry, uh, country music singer, he's not very active right now. I went and saw him, maybe it was like 96 or 97 he came through my town uh he was opening for dina carter and john barry did this song that i had never heard at that point it was the first time i ever heard it and it was a song that he wrote that was about his relationship with his father which was not very good and i haven't spoken to my own father for probably about 20 25 years you and me both there you go another thing in common <laughs> yeah so when when he kind of set up what this song was about and i started really focusing on the lyrics and because he told the story in the manner that he did it put the song into context for me and i remember sitting there listening to it and it was a very still performance not a lot of lights uh not a lot of movement so that it forced people to really focus on the lyrics and uh I was emotionally jarred when I heard this song and and my ex-girlfriend was with me and I remember she turned and she looked at me about halfway into the song and she said, are you okay? (laughs) And, and I was like, I, I said, I just wasn't expecting this. And Mm -hmm. 
that was a song I'd never heard of before, because I know one of the things I hear singer-songwriters say is, well, you know, people don't have that kind of emotional reaction to songs that they aren't familiar with, and that's total bull. No, uh, yeah, I disagree, yeah. You know, you it's, it's up to you as the artist to take that song and put it into context so that when they're sitting there listening to it, it starts jarring their own, you know, their own memories. One of my clients, Corey Wilkins, he's in San Diego. He's a, a country rock artist, and he's been jumping into the whole house show scene lately. So I helped him put together a 60-minute house show, and one of the things that he has in there is this um, great story that he tells about when he was younger – uh, he and his sister got in trouble with their parents. I don't remember what it was that they did, but the parents took away like all their records and cassettes oh, no. and, all, and all this stuff as punishment. But the parents had their own collection, and what would happen was whenever they would leave, Corey and his sister would sneak into the parents' collection and pull out some of the records and listen to them while they were gone. And uh, while Corey's up there telling us, he's playing these chords that I know when people hear it, they're sitting there going, man, that sounds really familiar. I can't place you know what it is and he starts saying this song was the first song i remember us listening to <laughs> when we would raid their music and then he goes boom boom right into it and it's nice. bruce, bruce springsteen singing fire mm-hmm. and uh it's this great setup that puts this memory in it because then you know the audience is listening to it and they're remembering things that they did when they were little and the way parents punished them and the stuff they did while the parents were gone. And all those memories get invoked. And it, it makes for a really cool experience. So that that's one of the things. Um, another thing, too, that I tell a lot of artists, uh, this would probably be my second point, is you have to remember going in that probably about 95% of the people that are in your audience watching you are not musicians. So they are not going to appreciate what you are doing for the reasons you want them to appreciate it. And, you know, I hear some artists every once in a while, they, they complain because they'll get up on stage and they'll do something really difficult and it's kind of lost on the crowd just how difficult it was. You know, maybe it's a, a, a technique that they pull off on the instrument, uh, you know, something like that. And I tell them, Doesn't I said, matter. look, yeah, I, I tell them all the time. I said, you're talking about people who probably nearly everybody in the audience couldn't even tell you what the bridge of a song is. And you want them to appreciate the fact that you just did something that's got this really high degree of difficulty. I said, that's it doesn't mean anything to them. Mm-hmm. Um and, and what I try to explain to them is, you know, audiences come to see people perform live more than anything because they, they want to experience emotional shifts. They want to experience emotional shifts, and there's a visual component that, that it, you know, draws them to the show. I was working with a guy this week. I have something in my eye. It's driving me crazy. Um, I have something in my eye. I like, <laughs> um, but, I had a, a first performance lesson this week with uh, an artist from London, and I asked him, I said, what was the last live show you went to? And he said, I went and saw Eric Clapton. And I said, why'd you go see Eric Clapton? And he goes, oh, I love his music. And I said, you could have stayed home and listened to it. And he goes, yeah, but he said, I, I really like the way he arranges his songs when he's playing live and, and what, you know, what he does when he changes the way the songs. And I said, how many live albums does Eric Clapton have that you could go listen to and get that same experience? Why did you shell out that money to go see him live? 
And then he said, because of the experience of seeing it live. And, you know, what I point out to people all the time, even that terminology, that vocabulary, the way we say that, and somebody says, hey, what are you doing tonight? We don't say, I'm going to go listen to Eric Clapton tonight. We say, I'm going to go see Eric Clapton tonight. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And, and when you kind of start to get a grasp on that, it gives you an idea of, you know, what I'm doing up on stage is just as important visually as it is audibly. So, you know, we talk about, you know, how do you create stuff that people see on stage that when they walk out of there, they remember. Um, singer-songwriter shows, some people get mad when I say this, but most singer-songwriter type shows that I see are obnoxiously boring. And, and, you know, there's no movement because they get behind the microphone with their guitar and it's like their feet are in concrete and they don't move. And I don't know how you can expect somebody for 45 minutes to stay focused on that and, and then walk out that night remembering that artist's name. It doesn't happen. It's very rare. And, and a lot of the singer-songwriter types, they take so much pride in their songs, and they want people to love them for the songs. But like we said, those songs, when people walk out, the songs don't have the meaning for them that they do the artists. There's this great comic that I saw one time, little one-panel comic, and there was a woman on stage with a microphone. And there's a couple people sitting in the crowd watching her. And she's saying into the microphone, my songs are like my children. And somebody in the audience is yelling, your children suck. (laughs) And I laughed so hard when I saw it because... It, it really, I mean, I said that, that, that's what I try to tell people all the time. That's the relationship between the singer-songwriter and the artist. Uh, you know, there's a lot of money to be made right now in house shows, and many house shows are done acoustically. If you can get to the point where you can capture a crowd, you can control their emotions, take them through a bunch of different ups and downs, uh, use storytelling to your advantage, learn how to engage the audience with eye contact and uh, getting them involved and maybe communicating to them outright at different points in the show. Um, You would be surprised how much money you can walk away from. Corey, the guy in San Diego, did his first house show. 40 people, 40 people were there. He walked out of there with $400 in tips. That's a a 60-minute show that he did with his guitar that he did not have to work to promote. It was somebody's birthday party. Um, All of that money, that was tips and donations. That wasn't any kind of admission fee or anything like that. And when he walked out of there because of the setting, he was able to spend a lot of time talking to the people who were there, becoming friends with them, getting pictures with them, so that when he left, those people felt closer to him. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that whole dynamic of the relationship between the artist and the fan, he walked out of there taking it to a level that would have been very difficult to take if he were doing a show at a regular venue. Um, Walks out, since he did that show by himself, he doesn't have to split that money with anybody in the band. I, I don't know how you pass up an opportunity like that. And a lot of singer-songwriters, I think, right now are really missing the boat on the house shows. Uh, so, I mean, that, that's a couple things that jump out to me as far as the live performances that, you know, people can do to, to make the show more memorable. I love that. Now, are you ready for 20 questions? Yes, fire away. <laughs> I, you know right. what, even, I, it didn't even dawn on me about the 20 questions thing until Ross emailed me this morning and I read it. 
And I thought, okay, what are they going to be asking me? So fire, fire away. You know what? Whatever the first dance, I'm going to give you one, uh, two things to compare to, and you just okay. the first thing that that comes to your mind. So here we go. Right. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Coffee. Meat or veggies? Meat. CD or vinyl? Oh, CD, I guess. The Walking Dead or Game of Thrones? Game of Thrones. Mac or PC? C. <laughs> Me too. Yoga or yogurt? I wish weightlifting would have been in there. Um, <laughs> yogurt. Breaking Bad or Orange is the New Black? Ooh, Breaking Bad. Twitter or Facebook? Facebook. Indie or major? Depends on the indie and the major. Um, that, that, that's a tie. That's and, who, hard. and who's behind everything, right? Yes. Good bad people everywhere. Right. True. Yeah. Canada or Scotland? Ross is helping me with my website right now, so Scotland. <laughs> Smart choice. Friends or Seinfeld? Seinfeld. Jack Bauer or James Bond? Jack Bauer. That was an wow. easy one. Wow. Lost. I, I, I've accidentally ruined uh, 24 storylines for Ross because <laughs> I didn't realize 24 aired like a day or two later over there than it did. <laughs> yeah, it did. Yeah. So sorry about that whole Spoiler president. Spoiler alert. That, that President <laughs> Keller thing that happened, Ross. Now, I don't know. I don't know how I would be able to choose between these two, but Lost <laughs> or Fringe? Oh, I know. I know. Fringe. Wow. Hmm. Fringe. You know, Walter, right? Walter yeah. itself. Just, yeah. Walter. He's a, he's a good say. egg. Yeah. Granted, <laughs> I think uh, Evangeline Lilly, I think, is incredibly Agreed. hot. Oh, I thought we were going to say a great actress. <laughs> no, I don't. I wouldn't say she's a great actress. Yeah, incredibly she's hot. She's incredibly hot. So that that's the only thing that really makes that hard. Your honesty. That's what it's all about. Your hey. honesty. <laughs> so uh, the Simpsons or Family Guy? Simpsons. Michael Jackson or Michael Bolton? Paragraph. Michael Jackson. <laughs> no <laughs> offense to Michael Bolton, but the Bolt. The Bolt. Ricky Gervais or Ricky Martin? Ricky Gervais. Cardio or strength training? Oh, I do both. Me too. I can't, I can't pick one. You know what? I'm going to pick one for you. Cardio because it's the most important. Strength training is good too. But cardio uh, is it's most important to keep your health, heart healthy, right? I do, I do about 22 miles a day on a stationary bike six wow. days a week. And then four days a week, I weight lift. I started doing that a couple of months ago and started watching what I was eating. And in about 10 weeks, I've dropped about five inches from my waist. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So both. Both. Whale or kale? <laughs> Ew. Come on, come on. If you're getting healthy, you're going to have to have more kale. <laughs> I'll, I'll say braille because I have a client who's blind. No, no, we actually said whale or kale. Oh, but that's okay. You can have a third one. We'll go with braille. I like I that thought, one. Let's stick I thought with that you one. Said braille. I think no, you let's said keep it, let's I like that. Let's keep. I was actually sitting here thinking, boy, how do you come up with those two? <laughs> 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 Bet Midler or the Riddler? The Riddler. Nice. And finally, and your final question. Drum roll. Ross or Marcio? Well, this is like the Scotland Canada question. Kind of, but more important. Yeah. <laughs> it he's will determine helped, future he's relationships. Helped, he's helping me with the website, so I gotta say Ross. You know what? 
that's okay. I'm used to it. There's always a happy. I mean, that's the main reason people say me. Like, no one says yeah. me because they actually like me better. Yeah, they just say because I'm Maybe working. that's actually worse. <laughs> so they're just like, well, he's, I'm working with him, so. Oh. <laughs> uh, do you have any re- music recommendations? Or you know what? Do you have any, any recommendations at all? Music, film, anything in the arts? Oh, uh, hmm. Just a couple of your top. Recommendations. How about books? I'll tell you. Sure. A great book to read if you're a songwriter, and um, I'll have to explain why, because when I tell you what it is and who wrote it, you're going to say, how do you make that leap? Stephen King wrote an absolutely fantastic book. It's called On Writing, and uh, about half the book is an autobiography, which is, which is really interesting, and if you're, if you're trying to become a professional musician, it's very inspiring to see the garbage that he went through before he finally started getting like Carrie and Salem's Lot uh, actually published. But the other half of the book is made up of writing tips that he gives to aspiring writers, college students that he teaches. And there's some really great stuff in there. uh, Like, I know he recommends to a lot of writers that no matter what kind of writing you're doing, nonfiction, fiction, and and I think this applies to songwriting as well, that you should try to set aside a certain time every day, a specific time of day that you set aside to sit down and start writing. Because the idea is once you kind of get your body and your mind used to that routine, when you sit down to do it, you can be far more productive because your mind knows, okay, it's now time to be creative. And I see where he's coming from because like I said, when I was a journalist and I was getting up at three o'clock in the morning, uh, my morning every day consisted of a a 90 minute period that started at about four o'clock where I had that 90 minutes to write up as much news copy as I possibly could before I had to go on the air the first time. And from doing that for so long, there was no time period throughout the course of the day where I could write as much as I could in that 90-minute period. And when, when I read that from him, I was like, well, I get that. I know exactly what he's talking about. So... Stephen King, if I remember correctly, he sets aside a four-hour period of time every single day. I don't remember if it's from like eight in the morning until noon, but he he does it every single day with the exception of two days. He doesn't write on his birthday, and he doesn't write on Christmas Day. Every other day of the year, he sits down for four hours, and it's at the same time every day, and he writes. And I think that, you know, doing something like that, I think, would probably help a lot of songwriters. Obviously, you never know when inspiration is going to hit. Right, right. So if inspiration hits outside that time period, by all means, sit down and run with it. But I, I think that if you did that for a period of time, I think some people would be very surprised over that period of time, um, you know, how much more productive they end up being. And another great piece of advice that he gives in that, and I know a lot of songwriters don't want to do it to this extent, but um, what he tells people to do is whenever you write something, take whatever it is that you wrote, put it in the drawer of your desk, and don't look at it for like a year. The reason being is because if you don't pay any attention to it for a year, you put it in the drawer, put it in a box, whatever, go on to the next thing. When you come back to it a year later and you pull it out and you look at it, you're not looking at it through the eyes of the person who wrote it. You don't have the emotional attachment that you did when you initially sat down to write it. So it it enables you to be far more critical 
when you sit down and start analyzing what you can do to improve it. Now, a lot of artists are not going to wait a year to do that. But even if you can put it away for two months and and put it away and move on to the next thing and then come back to it later down the road, I think you'd be surprised how much better the approach is for you when you sit down to make those improvements or maybe rewrite certain parts of it or Wait, whatever you're telling my, my story as a, as a songwriter man this is so amazing that you're saying this because that's unless a song like it's one of those times where it just comes out the whole thing there you go what happened in the last half hour that was like you know great inspiration but other than that the same approach i do man the idea comes out there it is okay i'll look i'll, I'll give it some time because you have to i i call it uh like, I don't call it something, but... I, the gestation period. Yes, you let it breathe, because it like you said, you, you're not as atta- you're still attached to it, but not as much. You can look at it more objectively. You know, it's important that the that the true raw emotion came out, but now you can take that other approach and just, okay, how can I bring this to the next level? You know, if you need to, sometimes you don't. Sometimes it's just that, like, yeah, I love that you said that, man. You know, I'm doing something right, I think. <laughs> yeah, it, it is a fantastic it's, book. Yeah, it's really important. Uh, you know, and it's important that if somebody, you know, if, if somebody who's a songwriter or a performer, if they really read that, read it thinking about the context of how it applies to somebody in this industry right. in music uh, that's doing songwriting. I think the, they'll take a lot away from it. So that, that's my art. I love that, man. Wade, this, you're, you're awesome, man. You're uh, I'm so glad that we, we actually got a chance to talk and uh, face-to-face as best as we can through right. the wonders of the internet. Um, for our listeners and viewers, please go to his website. Uh, well, this is rockettothestars.com, and the Twitter is rockettothesta1, because right. you're one character too short, I think. Yes. Oh, yes. Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thank you, Twitter, for that one. The other thing, yeah, too, right. is the book that I co-authored with Rick Barker, the $150,000 music degree. Uh, we sell that on Amazon, but we actually give that away for free on mm-hmm. the website if you go and you, you sign up for the email list. Oh, uh, awesome. So if anybody, you know, if you want to get a copy of that book, you can go to rockettothestars.com. And at the top of the homepage, you'll see a thing that says, hey, you know, get a free copy of the book. Well, uh, I will be doing that. And definitely. everyone listening and watching this should do that immediately. Yeah, we'll and tell everything all of your the musician friends to do that. Yes, Ross, I think you already downloaded it, didn't you? Um, I've downloaded it. I'm sorry, but I've not had a chance to read it. Yes. But I have downloaded. I will it. be downloading so. and reading it. Can we go back to the sure. twenty questions where I had to decide between the two, <laughs> two I like better? No, I still have those websites logins. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Uh, if you want to know what I'm up to, go to marcinavelli.com. You can hear my music on there, and I'm currently uh, writing for my next record. And uh, uh, you can stay up to date with that. And if you want to see what I'm doing, I'm at electrickiwi.co.uk um, and electrickiwi on Twitter. And he's a web designer, by the way, people. So a music web designer. Go get your website done by Ross if you're a band. I don't yeah, know why I'm talking like William Shatner. <laughs> me neither. <laughs> Anyways, wait, man, this has been great, man. Come back again soon, please. Thank this you for having me. No worries, man. No you're worries. welcome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Bridge the Atlantic. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave a rating and review on iTunes. You can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So connect with us on there and let us know what you think of the show. Thanks for being awesome, and we'll see you next week. Bye.